Chapter 4 of War Stories for My Grandchildren. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Hawkins. War Stories for My Grandchildren by John Watson Foster. Section 6. The Battle of Shiloh, Part 2. After finishing the foregoing letter, I wrote a short one to my wife. My own dear wife, your husband is still safe and unharmed, though he has passed through a most terrible and deathful battle, the bloodiest ever fought on the continent. While it was terrible, it was grand. I have just written a long letter to Father, which is for you all. I would write you at length, but is now past midnight, and after two days of hard fighting and one rainy night of gloomy and fearful watching, I need rest. You will excuse me, will you not? My dear Park, God, our merciful Father, has been my shield and my protector. Let us give him all the glory. Captain Dudley Smith, a relative of my wife, is badly, not mortally, wounded. His regiment fought next to us, and I shook hands of encouragement with him not five minutes before he fell. Both his lieutenants and first sergeant were shot. I believe, my dear, that God will continue to preserve my life for you and my dear child. Live in hope and faith. I will write a long letter soon. In the letter to my father given above, I refer in commendation to my brother Alexander H. Foster, the regimental quartermaster. He rendered a most valuable service in saving all our camp and personal baggage. When during the first day's fighting it became evident that the battle was going against us, he brought up the wagons and loaded up all the company and headquarters baggage and outfit, and took them to the rear. The rebels occupied our tents on Sunday night, and would have plundered everything but for our quartermaster's thoughtfulness. He also displayed great daring in keeping us supplied with ammunition during the first day's heavy fighting. Another incident respecting our tents may be noted. When attending the Harvard Law School, I had formed a very close friendship with a classmate from Alabama, Walter Bragg. I corresponded with him for some time, but lost sight of him when the war began. Years after, he came to Washington to fill an important position. I learned from him that on Sunday night of the Shiloh battle, his regiment occupied the camp of the 25th Indiana, and he slipped in our headquarters tent. General Grant, in his personal memoir, says, The Battle of Shiloh was the severest battle fought at the West during the war, and but a few in the East equaled it for hard, determined fighting. General Sherman, in his memoirs, characterized it as one of the most fiercely contested of the war. The number of Confederate forces engaged in the battle, as reported by Beauregard, was 40,955. Grant reports the Federal forces in the first day fighting at 33,000, and that on the second day he was reinforced by General Lew Wallace with 5,000 and from Buell's army with 20,000. The losses of the Federals were killed 1,754, wounded 8,408, missing 2,934. The Confederate losses were killed 1,728, wounded 8,012, and missing 957. In my official report, I placed the loss of the 25th Indiana at 149. While the battle was recognized as a distinct Union victory, it was followed in the North by severe criticism of generalship displayed on the Federal side. Sherman says that probably no single battle of the war gave rise to such wild and damaging reports, and in his memoirs, 
Grant writes, The Battle of Shiloh, or Pittsburgh Landing, has been perhaps less understood, or to state the case more accurately, more persistently misunderstood than any other engagement during the entire rebellion. The main criticisms were three in number. First, that no entrenchments or fortifications of any kind were made to protect the encampment. Second, that our army was surprised. And third, that the retreating enemy was not pursued. It is generally conceded that the encampment was well located for defense, as three sides were protected by the river and creeks full of water. Sherman, in discussing the first criticism in later years, said, The position was naturally strong. We could have rendered this position impregnable in one night. General Force, in reviewing the battle after the close of the war, wrote, The army had many things to learn, and the use of filled fortifications was one of them. The charge that our camp was surprised was indignantly denied by both Generals Grant and Sherman, and they produced statements of fact, not generally understood at the time, which seems to sustain their contention. But a different impression was generally prevalent in the camp. One of the most intelligent and daring of the Civil War correspondents was a young man riding under the nom de plume of Agate, who became afterwards well known throughout the world, Whitelaw Reed. He was on the battlefield during the two days fighting and wrote lengthy reports of the battle. His contention was that it was a complete surprise. Years afterwards, he had a discussion on this matter with General Sherman, and in the course of it, he cited my letter to my father, above quoted, to sustain his contention. Doubtless, the rebel army would have been much more demoralized and have sustained great loss in military equipment and supplies if it had been vigorously pursued. The greater part of Grant's army was so reduced and fatigued as not to be able to make an effective pursuit of the retreating Confederates, but Buell's army was not in that condition. Publications made after the war by Grant and Buell make it plain that there was want of harmony, if not an unfriendly spirit, that prevented the cordial cooperation which might have made the battle much more decisive. For some months previous to the Battle of Shiloh, General Halleck had been commanding the Department of the West, with his headquarters at St. Louis from which place he was directing the movements of the armies. Immediately after this battle, he came to Pittsburgh Landing, arriving on April 11, and assuming personal command. He began the reorganization and reinforcement of the army in the vicinity for a march on Corinth, where it was understood the Confederates were concentrating. This step on his part had the effect of practically relieving General Grant from command. The news of the battle and heavy losses suffered by the Union forces awakened through the country great interest and sympathy, and from all the cities of the West located on the Ohio and Mississippi rivers, steamers were charted and dispatched to the battlefield, loaded with hospital supplies, volunteer surgeons, and friends of the soldiers. A boat was sent to Evansville, and among the passengers was my brother George, bringing letters from home and delicacies for the wounded soldiers of the 25th and our mess. In a letter of the 11th, four days after the battle, I wrote to my wife, I can assure you I was glad to see the Bowen with a load of our kind friends after a terrible experience of the last week, and to know that the great patriotic heart of the nation was going out in sympathy and in the acts of mercy to our suffering wounded, who have been so sadly, cruelly neglected by our Army General Medical Officers. I thank you and Eliza and Eleanor, my sisters, and our good friends at home for their presence. In our hard-fought battle of last Sunday, the enemy drove us back clear behind our camp and rascally carried off or devoured all of our eatables, and your delicacies came just in time to be fully appreciated. I haven't seen Captain Smith since he was wounded. I suppose he has gone down the river in the boats. 
You remember I wrote you we were on a court-martial together. I was finally excused from it to take command of our regiment. I saw Colonel Harlan. Afterwards, Justice of the United States Supreme Court married Miss Shanklin of Evansville today. He was in good health. His regiment is lying near us, in the woods without tents. I meet a large number of acquaintances in the Indiana regiments of Buell's Army. I send by George a copy of my official report of the 25th. Tell Father I cannot have it published yet, but I thought he and our home folks would want to read it, but don't circulate it too freely. As soon as I get the necessary consent, I will have both Colonel Veach's brigade and my regimental report sent home for publication. I am anxious that our regiment should have a fair share of the honor, as it had of the fighting. Say to Father and our friends that our regiment fought bravely and did itself and the state credit. I had the entire responsibility of the command. I believe I did my duty well. All assure me of it in the highest terms. I know I saved the regiment from disgrace and annihilation by a little daring exposure and vigorous encouragement of our men. This I write freely, but privately, to you and Father. It is a great consolation to me as a citizen to know I have done my duty, but it is a further gratification to know that my friends at home give me credit for it. On the 13th I write about the return of the steamer Bowen to Evansville. It was much out of humor because they let the boat be filled up with slightly wounded of other regiments, and left 30 or 40 of our badly wounded 25th in the hospitals at Savannah, to linger and suffer from neglect and bad treatment, and run the chance of getting home on the charity of other parts of the state. But I suppose the committee in charge did what they thought was best. Still, we are naturally sensitive and jealous for the comfort of our own men. In my letter of the 13th, I speak of the difficulty of getting my letters. Officers and men of the regiment were constantly going and coming from Evansville on furlough or sick leave, and they were often availed of to carry mail matter, as the mail was not regular. But I note one instance in which my letters by private hand did not reach me for 30 days. I tell my wife, when you can't have opportunities of sending letters to me by private means, send them by mail. They will get here after a while and they are never old. Your letter of Sunday was seven days in coming. I have just received your three letters sent by Schoenfeld. They were a little behind time, being dated March 14, but they were still very welcome. I received by him the Evangelist and Independent. I always like to get them, especially the Evangelist, as it gives a little variety to my religious reading. Colonel Morgan's father arrived in camp today, expecting to find the colonel nearly dead and found he'd gone home only slightly wounded. These newspaper reporters ought to be severely punished for their wicked and foolish exaggerations. The idea of reporting 20,000 of our troops and 40,000 of the rebels killed and wounded serves only to fearfully excite the country and is so very grossly absurd. It was a terrible fight, but not such as was reported in the first dispatches. These reporters see but little of the fight, hear a great deal, and tell all they hear, and a great deal more. I have nothing new to write, but thought you would love to hear after this terrible battle. Be cheerful, hopeful, and patriotic. My letter of the 15th was in the most desponding tone since I had entered the service. It must be confessed it presented a sorry picture of the 1,046 stalwart men who left Evansville eight months before the war. I enclosed you an extract from a communication addressed to our brigade commander. You will see from it that our regiment is pretty well used up between sickness and the bullets of the enemy, having suffered more than any other regiment from Indiana in battle. 
In this condition of affairs, I feel constrained to ask that the regiment be somewhat relieved. Alec has been troubled with camp dysentery, and wants to resign soon, but I have been doing all I can to keep him up and in good spirits, and to stay with us. Colonel James C. Veach, Commanding 2nd Brigade, 4th Division. Sir, permit me to call your attention to the present conditions of the 25th Regiment, Indiana Volunteers. In the late action of Fort Donelson, we sustained a loss in killed and wounded of 115, and in the late Battle of Pittsburgh Landing of 149, making a total of 264. A number of the wounded have since died. A large number are entirely disabled for any military duty, and nearly all the wounded will be unfit for duty for some time. There are now absent from the regiment, sick, 309 enlisted men, and sick in the regiment, 130, making a total sick of 439. I am left in the sole command of the regiment, the lieutenant colonel being wounded and the adjutant having resigned. Three of our most efficient officers were killed in the late action, and six of them severely wounded and disabled. Two of our captains absent, one of them badly wounded at Fort Donelson, the other sick. Three other of our captains broken down with continuous sickness and hard service, and are asking that they may be relieved or resign. We now report only 387 men for duty. Under date of the 18th are right. It is now nearly two weeks since the battle, and our camp is again resuming its quiet and accustomed ways, as if no terrible conflict had taken place over these grounds. All our wounded are gone and are now in the hospitals at home. I hope they will be well cared for, as I am sure they will be. We don't know how long we will stay here, or what are the intentions of the generals, but I think we shall remain for at least ten days. General Halleck will hardly move till he has his army so disposed as to make victory certain. He says, so it is reported, that enough lives have been lost here, and that he will accomplish the rest without much fighting. I suppose you all hope this will be the case. General Hurlbut says he will not take his division into the next battle, if he can prevent it, owing to its heavy losses in the late battle. In our regiment and the brigade, every third man was either killed or wounded, so you may rest in considerable quiet, as they think the probabilities of us having much fighting is very remote. But if it becomes necessary and we are called upon, we will do our duty. You would want us to do nothing less. I never expect to witness such another battle in my life. It was terrible and grand. I could not describe it. It is only to be seen and heard. I had no conception of what battle was before. The Fort Donelson fight was a mere skirmish by the side of it. You will preserve all things of interest in the papers, especially relating to the regiment in the battle. But there were so many regiments in the fight we do not expect to get much notice, especially as we have no reporters in our employ. I trust, my dear Park, you will have confidence in my continued safety and health, wishing for a happy termination of our troubles and my speedy return, remembering that I will not expose myself or our regiment more than is essential to our duty, safety, and honor. I send many kisses to my darling little daughter. My letter of the 20th acknowledges the receipt of the first letter from my wife after the Battle of Shiloh. You cannot know how glad I was to receive your letter of the 12th. I have read it over many, many times during the last two hours since I received it. When I read your letter and knew with what feelings of joy you learned of my safety, I could not keep back my tears. I have something to live for and something to encourage me to do my duty bravely when I am assured of so dear and loving a wife and such good relatives and friends. 
I was very anxious to hear from you after the battle, and this was the first letter. I knew there would be great anxiety at home, both for myself and the regiment, so I sent full particulars and a list of the killed and wounded by the first opportunity. I have already given a copy of the letter I wrote my father the night after the second day's fighting. Although I cautioned him that it was only for the family and not for the public, he was so much pleased with and proud of it he let the newspaper men take a copy of it. The New York Tribune, in publishing it on April 22, headed it with this comment. The following account of the great battle, written by Major John W. Foster of the 25th Indiana, is the most clear relation we have yet met with. In my letter to my wife of the 20th, I make this comment. I was very sorry to see my letter to father in the newspapers. I did not want it published. I so stated to him, I don't want to blow my own trumpet. If the people at home can't learn of my exploits in some other way, it is better they should not hear them at all. Don't publish any more of my letters unless I give my consent. But other accounts than mine were published. I make an extract from one of them written the day after the battle. The 25th had gained fresh renown and can point to their thin ranks as the record of their part in the dreadful day. Colonel Veach had two horses shot under him while commanding the brigade. Lieutenant Colonel Morgan was wounded in the first fierce charge that brought down so many of his men. Major Foster was everywhere in the thickest of the fight, leading the charge or directing the backward movement. The men will follow those officers anywhere, and Indiana may justly be proud of them. In my letter of the 20th, I report a proposed movement of our camp. Our old camp becoming unpleasant after the great slaughter of men and animals in the battle, we have been ordered to a new camp four miles nearer the enemy. We made our preparations, but a heavy rain has delayed. I think when Colonel Morgan rejoins the regiment, after we have whipped the rebels at Corinth and our men have a prospect of a little rest, I will have to manage to get sick, and by this means get a sick leave of a month, and come home to see my little daughter to keep her from growing entirely out of my knowledge, and to enjoy the long-desired society of my dear wife and friends. But I won't set my heart upon it, neither must you, for the probabilities are we will have to finish up this rebellion before any of us can get home then I will come and make a lifelong visit with you, for it will take a very loud and patriotic call from my country to make me leave my family again. In my letter of the 21st, I note an event which led to an important change in my military service. My wife had two brothers younger than herself, Theodore, a student in the senior class at the State University, and Alexander, then a clerk in the post office at Evansville. When the war broke out, Alexander, or Zan, was very anxious to enlist, but he was only 16 years old, and we refused our consent largely on account of his youth, and besides, as I was about to enter the service. I wanted him to stay home to look after my wife and their mother, but after the successive victories at Donelson and Shiloh, and he heard from the returned soldiers about me, he became restless to join our regiment. I referred to him in my letter of the 25th. I sent Zan a telegram and also wrote him a letter yesterday, saying if Theodore could take his place in the post office, I would have him made a lieutenant and assign him to duty as regimental commissary. But I do not want you to be left at home without one of the boys with you while I'm away, and he is not to come without the approval of father and his mother. Another reason which has caused me to decide for him to come, on the above conditions, was that Alec, my brother, has been a little unwell for some weeks, is getting tired, insists on going out of the service, and says he has only stayed on my account. He says if Zan comes, he can act as commissary, and he, Alec, will stay a month until Zan gets posted in the business, and we can have him appointed regimental quartermaster. 
if Alec goes home, as he seems determined to do, I would like to have Zan with me, as I don't fancy being here alone. End of section 6